Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. Here on FF Plus, we're pretty straightforward. We're going to talk about what we liked about each film. We're going to talk about what we didn't like, and then we will give you a recommendation about whether we think it is worth your time and your money. It's short, it's simple, and it's spoiler-free. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron. By the way, I guess I should introduce myself just in case this is your first time listening. And here with me, as usual, is my co-host for this show, Coles Davis. Hello, everybody, and an early happy Thanksgiving to everybody listening. Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. We are very thankful for you listening right now, whether it is before Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving, after Thanksgiving, we're still thankful. Either way. In fact, what's really interesting, Coles, is about this group of movies I was not aware that movies were going to drop early this week. Now, I should be because it happens every year, but I just, I guess I've been really busy and I hadn't even thought about it. And I didn't notice that movies were like in theaters on Tuesday night, some of them. So most of these films are actually already out. <laughs> and usually we end up with these reviews beforehand, but it is release day for them. So you still have a chance to listen to what we think before you make your buying decisions. We're going to get started with the movie Bruised. It stars Halle Berry, Shamir Anderson, Aiden Canto, Sheila Atim, and Stephen McKinley Henderson. It is the directorial debut of Halle Berry, and it is written by Michelle Rosenfarb. What's it about? Years after walking away from her promising career, aging mixed martial artist fighter Jackie Justice accepts an offer to fight the top female MMA fighter in an unsanctioned bout, while also dealing with the unexpected return of her six-year-old son, whom she gave up for adoption as an infant. All right, Coles, I'm going to throw it to you and let you get us started with what you liked about this one. I am a constant champion for women directors in Hollywood. We're starting to get a good amount of abundance of them, and it's starting to shift, so it's always great to see a female behind the camera. And this is Halle Berry's direct, directorial debut. So it's also interesting for me to see actors and actresses get behind the camera because they already have been experienced in the filmmaking process. You know, they've gone through the rehearsals. They've gone through what goes on on the set in the production. How do you coach actors? And so it's always interesting to see when actors get behind the camera, bringing all this knowledge and being able to showcase their talent somewhere else other than being in front of the camera. So that's always a good sign. Also, this kid, this kid's name is Danny Boyd. Yes, Danny Boyd. He's the um, little kid that is the subject of what Jackie is fighting for in this film. And this kid literally doesn't say a word of dialogue throughout the whole film until the end. Like he, he's mostly just almost like a silent actor. But those bring out the best performances when you have to rely on your facial mannerisms, when you have to rely on things in the environment and not relying on you speaking words to have an impact. And this kid really does it. They show you in the beginning that this kid comes from, he's coming from some trauma. You know, he sees that his father was killed in front of him. He has to deal now being with a mother who ethically didn't want him at the time. She was more focused on her career than she was on him. So once the relationship between her and his dad, you know, tapered off, he was kind of put at his father's doorsteps, but he enjoyed his relationship with his father. And so now he is brought into this foreign land being around this person, you know, who he has to get to know. That's his mother. And the way that this kid is carrying around all that guilt, all that hurt, all that silent pain, it's very remarkable and stands as probably the best element of this film because there's a lot of bad elements in here that I'm going to explain when we get to the dislikes. Well, he didn't stand out to me. So that's interesting because we have different things that we like. I didn't dislike him by any means at all. Uh, he just did not, I guess, capture my attention in the same way that he did yours. I'll be honest, though, and without jumping ahead to the dislikes, I mean, that, that storyline in general did not really grab me. And so I was sort of checking out, I think, a lot of that mentally. My favorite thing is also a performance, though, and it's from a supporting character, and that is the performance of Sheila Atim, who plays Jackie's trainer, uh, Bodakim, I believe is her name in this film, and I thought she was outstanding. I, I Honestly, I felt at times that 
I was watching the movie more interested in what was going to happen to this character and how this character was going to interact with Jackie than I was about Jackie, the character herself. So I really, really enjoyed the training character. And I thought that her performance was just like so far and above everybody else's that it was a little alarming for me. I thought Hallie was good. She was okay. Um, and I thought that this actress, Sheila team was just really, really good. And other than that, you know, I will say this. I, I'm just going to, it's going to end up kicking us off into dislikes, but I'll use it as a transition because I want to, I want to be clear about this. This is a movie where we'll go down the checklist real quick. Star athlete suffers a big loss that derails their career. Check. Two hours of struggling to overcome a family and personal drama in order to get ready for a chance at redemption. Check. There's a training montage. Check. She has an impactful relationship with a new trainer. Check. And it's got a predictable big climax. Check. It's a formula. And I want to be clear that the formula in and of itself is not bad. I don't mind that being the structure of a film. And I didn't mind that being the structure of this film in a general sense, right? We've seen it before with things like Rocky, with Creed, with Warrior. So I'm going to transition into my negatives because what I, my biggest issue with the film is like you don't execute or when you don't enhance upon that formula. You can't just make one specific kind of change at the end that you think is a big shocker and, and call it innovation. So it's how you treat moving between those elements as you progress through your plot. That's what matters the most. And I just don't feel that Bruised does a good job of that. I don't, th I think that Hallie has a decent effort here as a director, but not when it comes to the editing flow of this film. It meanders a lot. It is so low energy for a movie that is about MMA fighting. There is a considerable lack of MMA fighting in this movie. There's like an opening sequence. Then there's like one fight in the middle. Kind of. It's not even a technical fight. And then there's one fight at the end. That's it. Like there's not even most of this for these films that follow this formula typically will have kind of you'll see different fights throughout. But that, that keeps your energy up. The energy in this is way more about the drama. It's about her having issues with her former trainer slash manager, I guess is what he is, slash lover. And then she's got the drama of her child. And then she's and they snow in another whole drama with her and her trainer. And that part, I absolutely did not. I felt forced to me and in the worst way. It didn't feel right. Didn't feel like the film had set it up in any way for me to believe that that was going to happen. And it just was frustrating. But then I also don't think that the action in this is shot particularly well in the final fight. That's when I should, you should be able to suck me in Coles. Like I'm a sucker for that. Okay. I'm an easy mark. If you give me a rousing score, a reason to care about a character who's an underdog and a badass shot fight sequence, I'm going to forget a lot about the last two hours. I really am. But this fight, when I went into this movie, I thought I was actually on Twitter. I got called out by some people and I was like, look, Halle Berry is starring in a movie about an aged MMA fighter who supposedly is so good that she's able to come back from this, right? Halle Berry is well into her 50s now. I don't buy it. I don't buy that she could sell me on this fighter. And she didn't. Didn't come close to making me think, that she was, okay, so I've watched MMA. I watch the women's fighters in MMA. <laughs> Halle Berry in this, her character in this movie, there, not a chance she could even be in the ring more than 10 seconds with a Ronda Rousey at her peak or a Rose or, or anybody, right? A Jessica Andrade. She would get demolished so freaking fast. It's not even funny. And the way that it was shot, the sequence, the final fight, you could tell there's no actual connection of fists and elbows. Like it looked 
like the worst World War, uh, World War, uh, WWE type performance, right? Where you know it's fake. You could tell it was fake. And that really, really brought me out of the film. And it, and it left me on such a sour note because I was bored for most of this movie. And I was really hoping to like at least go out on a high with some great action. And man, I didn't even get that. I did not like it overall. I really felt like I wasted my time if I'm being completely open and honest with everybody here. So I, I don't know. Did you, was it that bad for you or, you know, would you not like? Let me start with one example of a basic sports film that is actually done correctly. So you remember the way back last year, right? Gavin O'Connor. One of my favorite movies of the year. Absolutely. Now, for me, I thought at best it was a three-star sports film. But let me tell you what The Way Back does that this film could never do. The Way Back makes me actually care for Ben Affleck's character. We see that he go he's going through problems. He's an alcoholic. He lost his marriage. You know, he's almost just a screw-up. He He's trying to find a way to redeem himself, and he finds the way to do that through these kids and coaching a basketball team. I, I know everything about Ben Affleck's character in that film, and there's no need for any major flashbacks or any or exposition or just focusing on all the negatives. Like, it, it gives you hope, a film like that. This film doesn't give me hope, and also I never learned anything about Jackie. <laughs> like, it's really sad when you have an actress like Halle Berry, who you know can be great, who you know can be one of the best in the business when it when it's go time her to be able to direct this film and then for her not even to be like have that star performance in a film like this is troubling <laughs> I, I don't understand anything about Jackie the only thing I know is that she's alcoholic and that she's kind of a deadbeat mom and that she's trying to fight, fight her way back into UFC that's the only thing I know I don't know why she became like this we don't even get a peek into her early career the only way you're going to know about her early career is through this MZ three minute montage you get at the beginning of the film. They almost just fast forward through all of the crazy events in Jackie's like early startup career. Like you hear these like announcements like, oh my God, Jackie Justin, she is so amazing. She's one of the best in the game. And then you get like a muddy kind of looking sequence where you, they show her where the fight where she left and kind of just like ended her career prematurely. And that's it. And then the guts of the film is for her to try to find redemption, but I can't really buy into it because, for one, I don't know anything about her, and two, I kind of don't feel empathetic for her for a little bit. Like, I understand that she had a kid and she was focused on her career, but you kind of just left your kid by the wayside. I can see why this kid was silent throughout the whole film. Like, I don't trust you. Like, you're a bad mom. Like, how do I expect, for you? How do I expect to just even like, hug you or even call you mom with the way that you treated me? And by the time we get to the end, of course, you're going to have that usual redemptive arc where, hey, just because this character did a lot of training montages, and just because they fought hard, hey, we're supposed to fall in love with this character. We're supposed to believe in them. But I don't believe in them. Added on to the fact that they throw in a whimsical and a wacky romantic subplot later on in this film. Like, when it came on, I literally almost turned the movie off. I did. I was like, look at this was bit of manufactured, manufactured drama. That's put right here in order to give Jackie some motivation. Oh, we as audience should already be feeling the motivation for Jackie just by her, her arc and her path. But no, there's so many times where they have to show you bad things happen in the Jackie. Like, oh, her ex-manager, her boyfriend, he's a douche. Oh, her her grandmother, they have some, some bad history between them. Or what about her son? You know, her son's not talking to her. And... Just these moments, they don't add into a story. It's just moments that are happening to this character and you're supposed to buy in and believe like, hey, I want this character to be redeemed. I want this character to like find some hope. I don't feel it at the end of the film. It's not an inspiring film. It's very, very dark and bleak for the most part. And also, what is up with this, this UFC fight at the end? My God, like the movements are so stiff. Like, these fighters don't believe in no defense. There's clearly no techniques going I, on. <laughs> I think... I think, honestly, that is why they might have done the film the way they did, where they start it just with... they start. Um, this is not really a big spoiler. They start the movie with her, her loss at the very end of this supposed, like, excellent career. And then we don't see anything else until this, this kind of fight at the end. I'm wondering if she intentionally did it that way because they just weren't able to... You weren't able to sell us 
on the fighting part of it. And it's really hard to have a sports drama <laughs> when you don't sell. It would be like watching a basketball team that just couldn't play basketball and like trying to root for a team. It, it doesn't work if you're not at least believably good, right? You have to show progress and be of a skill. And yeah, it, it just didn't work at all. Yeah, and it lets me know that maybe they didn't have a lot of money to play with for this film because I don't understand how you can do a film about mixed martial arts and UFC and not have at least a well-known UFC commentator come in and do this commentary. Like, there's commentary going on through this last fight, and it's cringy. Like, there's the woman there is talking about, oh, my God, what a good hit. Oh, what a blow. And then the guy's like, wow, this is an amazing fight. Like, they're not adding anything to the fight. They're not commentating. They're not showing you about why they're doing this jab like this. Like, why they're doing these grappling moves. Like, they're not showing you. They're not being real commentators. They're just being fan people. And we're supposed to buy into that. Also, the editing, like you said before, is so choppy. Like, literally, any time a punch is thrown, they cut away before you even can see an impact. Like, it's just boom, onto the next cut, onto yep. the next kick. And it's messy. I, it's one of those films that wanted to try and just skate away with just being basic and by having a star name attached to it. And I'm sorry, but you're not going to get away with this. Like, if you ask an AI right now, an algorithm, to make a sports film, this is probably what's going to come out on the first try. Like, before they can get to the Rockies, before they can get to the Crees and the Cree 2s, this is the film they're going to sprout out first in order to try to make a sports film. It's just... That's a great... It's not disappointing. It's just an undesirable film to watch because there's a lot of promise and this could have been at least something decent, like The Way Back, but I can't get close to that. Yeah, no, I I feel you. (laughs) We probably spent more time talking about it than it deserves. I I guess, are you feeling it? So it is in limited theater run. I think it's still in there some places and it is streaming on Netflix as of now, November 24th. What do you recommend for the people? I'm not feeling it. Hey, if you're bored, super bored one day, and you happen to come across this on your Netflix queue, then give it a watch. But you're not going to be happy by the end of it. Yeah, I'm going to say not at all. And and I, I wouldn't even watch it and recommend it as a like throwaway watch. I, I don't think it's worth it. And I don't think Coles does either. He's trying to be nice. But it, it's a waste of your time. There are way more things you could watch. There's thousands of films on Netflix that you could just scroll through. And I can tell you at least 50% of them are probably better than this. So there's no point in this. Skip it. Just skip it. Next on the list is 8-Bit Christmas. Yes, that's right, folks. We are rolling into Christmas movies now. A couple back to back. This one stars Neil Patrick Harris, Winslow Fegley, June Diane Raphael, David Cross, and Steve Zahn. It's directed by Michael Douse, and it is written by Kevin Jakubowski, and based on his novel of the same name. What is it about? Set in the late 1980s, a young boy named Jake Doyle plans to get a Nintendo Entertainment System before everyone else. Alright, Kales, what'd you like about this one? Often we get films like this, and they often just focus on trying to get this one prize item like a treasure, and that's pretty much what your story is built upon. I like that this film, they have that story, but they also build upon the Christmas spirit, the true Christmas spirit. They're learning to appreciate what you have instead of desiring for something else. I mean, we see throughout this film that the kid that we're following, he really wants a Super Nintendo so bad. Like, there are moments where he goes into a store and the Nintendo is literally talking to him. Like, come play me. Like, I know you want me and everything. And it's... It's the apple of his eye. He wants it so bad, but he loses track of what he already has. He has a loving family. He has a nice home. He has a great group of friends that stick by him through thick and thin. You know, he's he has so many advantages, and it's so easy to forget about that when we're glossy when we're when we're glossed by looking for the next big thing. You know, so you know, especially now with Thanksgiving and Black Friday coming around, we're now we're seeing people you know, that get these gifts and then they feel like, oh, like this is not good enough. Well, what happened to getting a gift and just being thankful for the thought that somebody had you in mind to give you something? And this film kind of reminded me of that. And we see throughout the narrative that this story is really not about a Super Nintendo. It's about appreciating what you have while you have it. And I can get behind that message. I also love the 80s nostalgia. Now, I'm a 1991 baby, so I, I probably 
wasn't in the prime like you were, you know, as a kid during this era, but you know, you have the power glove from Super Nintendo. You know, you have the games, you have the music, you have the production design, you have the clothing, and you have all these little minor details that lets you know that this is not a modern film. Like this is set in the eighties and I like attention to that. And I love most of the performances in here. Neil Patrick Harris, he makes for a good storyteller. You know, he's in the film, but he's not in in the film mostly. He's kind of just being like the narrator. But he does a good job with that. And all these kids, I mean, yes, some of the humor can be cotton candy at certain points, but they have a good heart. They have a good spirit. And I'm pretty sure that this movie was made with with a smile, with a smile in your heart and a smile on your face. It's very adorable. And this is honestly what Home Sweet Home Alone should have been. Like, I'm pretty sure Home Sweet Home Alone was trying to get this same feeling, but it, it's just a whole pile of crap and it doesn't get close. This film feels like a true, it feels like a true Home Alone film. It feels like a more Home Alone film than the other sequels that we've gotten, other than Home Alone right. 1 Home Alone 2. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yes. I agree with that. Uh, I Yeah, I also agree with the point that you made, and I'm glad you said this, about how you know it really ends up not just being about getting a Nintendo Entertainment System. That's the plot. That's what it tells you it's about. But there's a message here that I think is more important and definitely resonates at the end of this film in a way that leaves you with a great feeling walking away from it. It also turns it into something that I think is really good at holiday time. I mean, this is a movie you watch with a whole big group of family members or even just a small family together with your kids. And they're going to have a lot of fun with it, but they're going to walk away with that something a little bit more impactful when they see how it wraps itself up. I also love Neil Patrick Harris in this. Uh, He plays, like you said, the narrator. The structure of this film is basically the princess bride. Neil Patrick Harris is the grandpa who is telling the story to his daughter of how he got his first Nintendo. And, and it was just this crazy, like, crazy year and crazy Christmas where he was so obsessed with it and all his friends were, were obsessed with it. And, you know, my one, just a quote, quick dislike related to that, though, is I just wished he'd been in it more. I thought he was so He's the best in it. He's the main star in the movie, like, name-wise, I think. And I would have liked a way for him to be there more because he's not part of that main narrative. The kids are okay. I think that they're serviceable as well. I like the nostalgia, some of it. Um, I, for me, it is the fact that we're going back to this memory that I had of trying to get a Nintendo Entertainment System. I mean, I was there in the mid-80s. I was in my elementary school years, and I was these kids who was at the mall at Sears, yes, folks, Sears is where this used to take place. Uh, and they would have these, like, stations, Coles, like they do in the movie, where there's a Nintendo there, and it would have several games in it. And that scene where the Nintendo is talking to him and, like, beckoning him to come, it, it felt like that. I mean, it's hard to put it into words and to describe for a generation of, like, my own children, who my daughter's in college to be a game designer now, and for them you know they've never lived in a world without cell phones they, you know they've never lived in a world that didn't have 3d graphics it's hard to get that across like what it felt like when this never had existed before and for us it was the first ever touch of i mean i had an atari but like this was such a different experience it was so far above that that for you to to buy this thing and bring it home you know i go back and play those games now and i'm like i can't do it they just, they're too old. But in its moment, you know, it was life-changing. And it did have that ability, like any gift can, when you get obsessed with it at Christmas, to really just totally overtake your rational thinking. And you become a person you you don't want to be. You treat people and the relationships in your life the way that you don't want to treat them because you're so hyper-focused on getting this thing. And Nintendo did that for me, man. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I got in trouble because of my obsession and addiction to this thing. And the movie gets at a lot of that. And I really enjoy it in the way that it kind of plays through there. I will say this uh, on the, so that that's kind of what I liked about it. So it's charming. It's sweet. You know, it doesn't overstay. It's welcome. 
it's a quickly paced kind of quick brisk 90 minute little comedy family comedy just like i like them my dislike side i'll say i i did say i did want more uh neil patrick harris i ultimately wanted more about the nintendo I was fine with where the movie went narratively at the end, but I thought that there was like a real lack of Nintendo in this movie for it being about a Nintendo. They're trying to track it down, but they only like play Nintendo, I want to say once, maybe in the movie, and it's a pretty dumb way. It's exaggerated, but it's somewhat realistic in the way that if somebody had a Nintendo on the block, everybody would gravitate toward that house and would try to like get in on playing it. But there's really, that's it, because they're trying to acquire it. They don't have it. And so it was tough because, you know, like as a gamer and a Nintendo guy, like I want to see the Nintendo games more. It's kind of like you were talking about with UFC. You're making a movie about a UFC fighter and UFC branding doesn't exist in it. This felt sort of like that at times for me. I wanted more. I'm going to lie. I I thought it was pretty not hit me the way that I wanted it to hit me on a beat for beat for beat moment. I thought it kind of drug out a little bit. It's cute. Eight of that story to be more about the Nintendo itself than going in. It turns out to be a quest structure to get the Nintendo, which is kind of cute in its execution and plot. And it didn't like wow me by any stretch of the imagination. I I was hoping for more. I enjoyed it, but I was hoping for more. What did you not like about this one? little film it is really nothing that's going to stay in your memory even after the day you watched it it's like a good one hitter quitter you know something that's almost like a, a quick shot of coffee i'll agree with you that the humor is at times very cheesy and sometimes they can get too carried away with the joke and they don't know when to end it there's a uh, there's a character in here this guy who's like a pathological this kid who's like a pathological liar and they just do this little bit where he just does these most obvious lies and like these kids for some reason just keep falling for it and everything like he says oh i'm going to be a stunt double for tom cruise and it's like you're (laughs) you're an eight-year-old kid like in your size like who would believe this and you know it it's a little bit too outrageous Uh, but you gotta remember i mean this is a film that's written for little kids in mind and you know the adults will be able to catch on to most of the time references and the music and just a decade itself yeah, it, it's a cute, okay little film. And, I mean, it did much better than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be in the territory of a Home Sweet Home Alone or just a, another forgettable child's film. But it has a lot more to say than just that. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like it more than that one as well, for sure. This one is available streaming on HBO Max as of today, November the 24th. Again, it's called 8-Bit Christmas, and if you grew up in that generation like myself and like Plus was at the tail end of, you are definitely going to find some enjoyment here, no matter what. All right, next up, we have two of the big prestige releases of the year. First is House of Gucci, starring Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Jared Leto, Jeremy Irons, Salma Hayek, and Al Pacino. It's directed and written, well, no, it's directed by Ridley Scott. Written by Becky Johnston and Roberto Bentavegna, and based on the 2001 book, The House of Gucci, A Sensational Story of Murder, Madness, Glamour, and Greed, by Sarah Gay Forden. What is it about? When Patrizia Reggiani, an outsider from humble beginnings, marries into the Gucci family, her unbridled ambition begins to unravel the family legacy and triggers a reckless spiral of betrayal, decadence, revenge, and ultimately, murder. Dun, dun, dun. So, sadly, Pales was unable to attend our screening of this because it was a daytime screening, and he has a normal job that he can't get away from, unlike Lucky Me. So, that was a bummer. So, I'll tell you what I thought. I was not expecting this to be such a comedy. Well, back up. I had no idea what I was in for. I did not know the plot of this movie when I went into it, even what I just read. For you listeners, I didn't know that. So I had no earthly idea that there was a murder involved going into this. I didn't know anything about the Gucci family. Why would I? Like, I'm sorry, but I don't know. This is just out of my wheelhouse. Like, I don't keep up with the fashion industry at all. Um, And, you know, I went into it. I was expecting 
a lot more of a serious kind of prestige drama. This is a comedy. It's hilarious from start to finish. And it's hilarious in that Ridley Scott way where he knows it's hilarious. And you're watching it and it's not it's not playing itself like it's supposed to be hilarious, but everyone in the movie knows that it's happening. They're all in on the jokes. And it is highly entertaining because of that. I think if it was a straight movie, I don't know that I would have liked it nearly as much. But because of the tone of kind of underlining humor in there, it's pretty fun. Everybody in this movie goes to 11 and just... <laughs> it's big performances and it cracks me up so if you've seen the last duel you'll know and if you've listened to us you'll know i was not a fan and the fact that there are no accents in that movie really frustrated me in this one everybody tries an italian accent to some extent some of them work better than others jeremy irons hilariously he feels like he's doing the thing that they did in the last duel he didn't give a crap there's no accent try. He's just like, I'm here. I'm Jeremy Irons. I'm going to talk how I want to talk. It doesn't matter. And I, it's like Ridley doesn't care about these things. And, and it just, it works sometimes. It doesn't work sometimes. Lady Gaga, absolutely sizzling. Ab, she is a movie star. She is a superstar. She is a super duper star, period. This woman is so talented. She can do anything. She's came on the scene and wowed us and showed us her acting chops in A Star is Born that was very much kind of in line with what she was already famous and already good at, we knew, which was being a singer and a character now who's playing a singer. You would expect her to at least have some familiarity with that. This is a whole other ball game. She's in my top five best actress of the year to this point. Stunning, stunning performance. I think she is, I think she can do anything she wants to do. And I truly think if she gets enough roles, she will go down as one of the greatest multi-field, talented people, performers that we've ever had. I mean, she's just mesmerizing. Like, you cannot get your eyes off of her. She's incredible. Driver's fine. I, there are people out there that seem to be in love with Driver. I think he's fine. He's good. He's okay. The other big, big standout in this uh, is Jared Leto. Jared Leto is buried in like a mountain of fat suit and makeup. And he is a hoot. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know why he's doing it. But he goes like five levels above everybody else. So if, if Al Pacino is going to 11 in a scene, Jared Leto will walk in and go to 20. And it it, it works for me. Like I just could not get enough of it. I thought it was so entertaining. The movie plays out much like a telenova, and I think that's what works for it, com comedy-wise, is because it's not playing it like this straight story about dramatic people we should care deeply about and really get upset when they have things go wrong in their lives. We kind of don't root for anybody, and we just kind of see it coming, and we're like, okay, like, Kind of figured it was going to play out like that. And you don't really like anybody. It's just a whole bunch. It's like a big, big Italian soap opera. Honestly. I liked a lot about it. I honestly, my dislikes, I, I could, it could be nitpicks. I walked out of it, Coles, and I thought to myself, man, that was entertaining, but I can't imagine ever wanting to watch it again. All I've wanted to do since the next morning was watch it again. I've spent the last several, like, days a week just hoping i get a chance to see this again as soon as possible just de totally desiring to get back in there so i had a different reaction coming out of it than i actually expected so it's much higher i'm much higher on it than i originally thought because it was awesome like the dialogue i guess i'll say this it's much the first hour we've seen this quite a bit this year with a lot of these longer like two hour two and a half hour in fact something we're about to talk about next as well where that first hour, man, is just cracking, right? It is popping off. The script is going. Everybody's the energy is high. And then the movie, like, settles into this dramatic, kind of slower-paced, 
A lot of things are going on. It's kind of stretching out the material. It feels like this movie does that. That's the least thing I like about it, right? I thought it was too long. I thought it could have been tighter. I thought the pacing kind of drug it down and kind of took away that energy that I was enjoying so much. That's really the only criticism I have, though. I think everything else about it, it's so watchable. Uh, it's so, so watchable. And I'm pumped to get a chance to see it again. It's in theaters November 24th today. I recommend everybody go see this. I think it's well worth your time and you're going to have a blast, especially if you don't know the story like I didn't because I got to actually learn about this family and find out things that I, did, I didn't see everything coming. Like there's some twists and turns in there that I was not necessarily already aware of. And I'm really high on this one for the year. Okie dokie, last but not least is Licorice Pizza. Starring Alana Haim, Cooper Hoffman, Sean Penn, Tom Waits, Bradley Cooper, and Benny Safdie. It is directed by Paul Thomas Anderson and is written by Paul Thomas Anderson. What is it about? Alana Kane and Gary Valentine grow up, run around, and fall in love in California's San Fernando Valley in the 1970s. All right, Coles, take it away. What'd you like about the newest PTA? Found this to be Paul Thomas Anderson's funniest and most lighthearted film that he's made to date. You go through the career of Paul Thomas Anderson, you get a lot of films that deal with purpose, that deals with characters trying to find their purpose, characters going through tough times in order to try to redeem themselves, to try to rebuild themselves. But this film felt like it was a party. It felt like it was a, a nice, 70, groovy party in the San Fernando Valley. And you get the nice, detailed production design. You see people wearing bell bottoms. You know, you see the cars. You see this is a time just right in the middle of peace and love. And right before the world went away from that movie and the counterculture movie kind of ended, you're right in that sweet spot in the middle. And you get references to Nixon and to the war. And you see these two kids. And let me speak on these two actors, Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman. Like, they are the duo that drives this film. I mean, they are so full of charisma, style. I mean, they rock these roles in a great way. Cooper Hoffman... Um, he's the late son of the late great Philip Seymour Hoffman, and he does a good job, man. I mean, I'm not saying that because he's one of my favorite actors, like kids, but he does a good job in eating this film, per se, along with Alana. Alana comes out of nowhere, and she's like a star to me. I think if she gets a few more roles under her belt, I think a lot more people are going to be able to take her more seriously after this, but this is a hell of a start for her acting career. and. I also love the little supporting actors we got. We get Bradley Cooper. We get Maya Rudolph. We get Tom Waits. You know, we get all of these usual leading actors, Sean Penn, and they're right in the background, but they add to the texture of the film. And we even get a softy brother in here, which is always amazing to see one of them in a film or them behind the camera. Also, you get PTA's usual directorial style. You get a lot of these nice soft mature close-ups you get these tracking shots you get these wide angles you get that he studied this time period well mostly because he was born during this time period and he lived in the san fernando valley growing up and that is often a character in these films is the san fernando valley but it's represented very well and you can tell that this is a certain period he wanted to capture and a little bit of a passion project and all means i Congratulate him for being able to get this project off the ground and being able to make this, especially during this era where IPs, franchise IPs and sequels and remakes are starting to take over. It's good to see directors like PTA still making original stories for feeders. Yeah, man, I really enjoy the production value of this film. The production design, the score and the soundtrack, the lighting... The camera shots, just everything about how it looks and sounds is appealing. It's awesome to watch on the big screen because of that. You know you are in the presence of a great filmmaker. You just do. Even if you don't care about the story at all, you can watch and see all of those elements together and understand quality. It's one of those where 
those rare occasions where I will say there are some obje- objectively great things about this movie that you really can't argue because they're technical elements. I think Alana Haim is indeed a superstar. I, she blew me out of the water. Also in my top five best actresses of the year. So both of these ladies from these movies will be there, I think. The performance is amazing. And that's even when you take out of the fact that she's a first time actress. That's crazy. Like she's a performer as well. She's part of the Haim sisters who have a band called, I believe the band's just called Haim. And so she's been a musical, a musician for a long time, but she hasn't acted. Hoffman is so good as her equal. Uh, I didn't know he was PTA's son. I texted you after the movie. I was like, dude, did you know this was PTA's son? And you're like, yeah. I was like, well, okay, but <laughs> I'm behind. But yeah, I mean, you, he looks kind of like him too. And But he's really just outstanding in this. And he's a first-time actor as well. It's his first performance. So for PTA to be ballsy and take these people who've never been in a movie, much less a movie of this caliber from a director who is expected to deliver an Oscar type of film every time out. And for them to deliver at the level that they did is beyond impressive. Um, I stand Alana Haim. I think like I fell in love with her character and I think you're supposed to because there's a big rom-com element to this movie. The first hour ish of the movie, it's about two hours and 15 minutes long and about the first hour is solid rom-com with her and Gary, the two the two kids. But she's like 25-ish is what she says. And he's, I think, 15. He's a child actor. And he's in love with her. He's falling. He wants her to be his girlfriend. And it is pure delight. There is so much banter between the two of them. The flirtatious relationship is handled with great care. This is one of my concerns going into this movie. And this actually applies throughout the whole film. I was really, I don't do age gaps like big when it comes to kids. Okay. So I don't care if you're 20 years old and you're with a 50 year old, you can do that movie all you want. I don't care. You're both adults. Do what you want. But when you take a child and you put them in a romantic relationship with an adult and you try to make that sweet, cute, whatever, like you have to be careful with that. I think this to me never felt gross, never felt exploitive or, you know, dangerous, pedophilic, nothing like that. She's actually resistant to him in the best, best ways. It's much more like, it'll remind you if you ever had a crush on your babysitter growing up, that's the way I felt. I was, I remember my babysitter, Samantha, when I was a young boy and she was an Oak Grove Hornet cheerleader and she would come home in her little cheerleading outfit. And I just, I thought she was the bet she would be, she was reading classic novels. And I, I like, she was like my dream woman, right? At that age, I thought she was, there could be no better possible woman for me in the entire world. That is the feeling you get kind of from Gary Valentine. The script in this movie is awesome. Like that first hour, especially they just, it's so, so good. The dialogue between them. I had an absolute blast with that. And there's enough here throughout the whole movie that it will keep your attention. And there's just, it's, there's a lot to love about this movie. With that said, it wasn't perfect for either one of us. So why don't you start it off with the things that didn't work as well for you? Remember when I said that this film feels like a party, I was mostly talking about the first half, which I'm going to second what you said. It's dazzling. It moves at such a great pace. And we're seeing the chemistry between Cooper Seeing the chemistry between Cooper and Alana, and I'm just enjoying getting to know these characters, and I'm enjoying seeing them, how to interact with their friends and their families, and I love this world. And then the second half comes along, and we kind of get away from both of these characters. It feels like it turns into the Alana show, which, hey, I don't mind, because, like I said before, she blew us both away. But we get away from Coop, from Cooper's character, and we, we get these little scenes with are kind of interjected in between Know, Alana's journey but it feels like it turns into a single film just about Alana and her trying to find her own purpose and just doesn't work because the romantic comedy was a gem for me I would if this film would continue on the way it was with romantic comedy mixing in the drama but keeping that romantic comedy heartbeat 
Oh man, this would have been one of my top films of the year. Easily. It would have been. But it feels like PTA, and this has been a constant criticism of his career, and I often defend him against this. When he made Magnolia, and that film turned out to be like close to 180 minutes, I defended him on that because I felt that all the elements were needed to tell a complete story. In this film, it feels like he bit off more than he could really chew. He was adding in these little side quests and these all other supporting characters to add, you know, a little bit of texture to the story, which works sometimes, but it works against the detriment of the romantic comedy and the dynamic between the two leading characters that we're following. We both talked about it after we left the screen. There's a character that they do introduce and that is in the background. He's sitting there and he seems to be having something to do because Alana, her character, she, work, she is trying to get a job working for the mayor. She's trying to help win a race. And there's this guy who comes in the background. He seems to be spying on the mayor and like his party and trying to get some dirt digged up on him. At the end, we don't get anything with that. Like, it, it feels like he's there, but we don't get any closure. It's like, well, why was he even there? Like, what was he doing? What was his purpose there? Wh what is his name? I don't even think we even get to learn his name. So when you have these little touches that are put into the film, that's almost like it's filler. It's trying to add in extra minutes, and it doesn't need to be that long. I'm not ever going to disagree i'm not ever going to agree with anybody who says that long films don't need to be made i think there is a place for films to be have long run times and to be shown i will always agree with that but this film it felt like this could have been a really really great 108 minutes and i would have been and i would have been in love with it yeah that's my biggest criticism as well is the Runtime just feels like it goes on too long. Like you, same same exact feeling. That first half was a rom-com, was so unique for PTA, and I absolutely love that. And the movie just kind of fell off a cliff for me after that. It actually starts about the time they end up having an interaction with a certain very, very, very famous movie star who is there for a cameo. I know a lot of people on Twitter, fellow critics, have been kind of talking about this, and I know some folks who've raved it really ruined things for me. I didn't feel the need for him to be there. I felt like his inclusion was a distraction to the movie and took away because it didn't add really anything to the story. It just added some kind of comedic 15-minute sequence that felt like it was only there to put him in the movie as a cameo. Like, it did not really truly move anything forward with our characters. I didn't feel like enough to warrant what it was doing. There's other characters in here that show up. You know, Safty is pretty subtle, his inclusion in the film, so I kind of did like him. Maya, very subtle, liked her. There's another character in here that shows up that you're going to recognize who is a racist buffoon. He's played like a racist buffoon, but I did not like the way that they handled the jokes that this character has. He has some it's some anti-Asian sentiment and I really didn't like it because they did it twice. The first time you kind of understand it, you're like, okay, we're going to laugh at this character because of this joke. And cause we know it's so cringy, but then they did it again. And it was just like, okay, you're kind of pushing my cringe boundary at this point. And then I, I will be honest, like we have a fellow critic in Seattle film critic society who came out after the movie and he was talking about how much it bothered him. And how frustrating it was for him to watch that and to hear the audience members around him, myself included, who laughed at that. And it really made me think. So that part of this film, there's a couple, just a couple jokes, but like, it really shouldn't be there, in my opinion. There's no need for that. And so I, I didn't love the second half, didn't like the pacing of it, felt like it got really dramatic and it, it switches from that romantic comedy that we were talking about into Alana's drama movie. And it's just a weird tonal shift that didn't fully work for me. It, it brings it back, tries to bring it back, you know, and wrap it up. And it is an okay job, I guess, of it. The other thing, the movie's called Licorice Pizza. There is nothing in this movie to do with licorice pizza. I understood from talking to folks that I think it's supposed to be a reference to the initials of licorice pizza being LP and having something to do with a record that, I, again nothing to do with the movie in the slightest it's not there i don't get it the former title of the movie the working title was soggy bottom 
that refers to the creativity and the business acumen of Gary Valentine's character that he comes up with all these crazy businesses that he wants to do as a, as a kid. That movie title would have worked really well and fit the movie. I don't understand why it's called Licorice Pizza and it will drive me nuts. I guess it's not really a criticism because it doesn't matter what it's called ultimately, but it will bother me until the day. Like, I just, it doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't sell the movie. It doesn't tell you anything about what the movie is going to be. And I just don't understand that at all. So ultimately a mixed bag for me overall, but the movie will be in theaters on November the 26th. So this one's not quite out yet as of this recording. I am feeling it. I absolutely say go to the theater and see this. It's PTA. It's well worth it. Alana Haim is a revelation. Gary Hoffman's amazing. This movie is going to have a lot of Oscar noms, I think. And if you're the kind of person who is a completionist and wants to see all the movies that get nominated, you might as well get out there and just get it on now. I think it's still, even with the dip in that second half, it's still overall an enjoyable movie. The elements are there to keep your attention, unlike some other films that we experience where if the technical quality isn't there, then there's nothing to hold on to if the plot doesn't work for you. But in this case, everything else is firing off at such a high level that even when the plot kind of drags you're still kind of engaged. So I definitely say go th- go see it. What about you? Feeling it. Given that this is my first film that I've seen of Paul Thomas Anderson's in the theater, this is a definite theater watch for me because I got enough respect for the man that even though this film may not be up there with his other great films, a good PTA film is still better than 80% of what you're going to see out there in Hollywood now. So I'm feeling it. Go see it in a theater support these kind of films and support these two actors Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman I think there will be names to be reckoned with in years to come if their career goes the right way yeah definitely absolutely agree with that well that's it for us this time on FF plus we hope that one of these movies will pique your interest I and mean, if it does we would love to hear what you think about it when you do get a chance to see them you can find us on Twitter at feeling film and at black nerd magic you can find us on Letterboxd. You can find us in our Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group. There's all sorts of links in the show notes. Just go follow us everywhere and come chat and tell us all your thoughts on film. We love that stuff. Again, happy Thanksgiving if you celebrate. We hope you have a good holiday time. We will be back next week. Until then, watch all the movies and keep feeling film. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.